0: Well good morning everyone, it's good to see you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake Box. I'm pastor here at Midtown Church, and uh, so glad that you're joining us. Let me just get one word in about Haiti as well. I've been on that trip the last two years. I'm going again this year. I really love that trip and would love for you just to be praying about whether God would have you go there to impact that nation as well as to let God impact you as a result of going on that trip. That's always one of the most profound things God does is what actually happens in your life as a result of going on a trip like that. So we'd love for you to be a part of that. I'd love to be able to get to hang out with you for a week in Haiti this spring break. So that could be really, really a lot of fun. So pray about that, all right? So um, hey, a couple weeks ago, I stood up here and I talked about how uh, God has a great promise in scripture found in Habakkuk 2.14 that he says, for the, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And I talked about that day that that's God's promise, that he is at work filling the earth, the knowledge of his glory, the knowledge of his glory being the knowledge of who God is and what he's done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, that we can have life in him, and that he's filling it with the earth, the knowledge, of the, glory of, uh, of his, the knowledge of his glory. But I also talked about that day that um, currently the earth is filled with something much worse, right? It's, it's filled with brokenness. And this week, guys, like, has been a stark reminder of that fact, hasn't it? I mean, between the terrorist attacks, between the mall stabbings or the mall shootings or the or the riots, or or the deaths of, of Terrence Crutcher and, and, and Keith, that uh, it's it's been uh, it's been a, a rough week. And brokenness uh, surrounds us. It, it's, it saturates our world. It's everywhere we look. What I want to do this morning, as we begin uh, the message, is just to remind y'all of the great truth that our God is active in this world, restoring it to himself, and that he will one day fill it with the knowledge of the glory of his glory. And that he has begun that work and really done the ultimate work towards that end in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. So that through Christ, he could kill the hostility that, that there is between us and God and us and each other. And so I just want to read one of my favorite passages of Scripture to us today in light of everything that's happened this week and in light of what God is doing in our world. And so just take a minute and just, if you want, to just close your eyes or just like focus on these words that we find in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one And has broken down in his flesh, hear this, the dividing wall of hostility, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows up into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That passage tells us that in Jesus God has killed the hostility that divides us from him and divides us from each other. That he killed that hostility by, by allowing himself to be killed in our place. And that through faith in him, he's now brought us to peace with God, that we could also experience peace with other men, all the rest of mankind. And that God is then building us up into this holy temple where his spirit dwells in us. And that the primary way, hear this, the primary way that he's now saturating the earth with the knowledge of his glory is through the people that he's reconciled to himself and his spirit living within us. And that we, as his representatives, as his spirit living within us, go into the world with him to love and serve people like he loves and serves people. That they would know the one true God. They would know the glory of the Lord. In Midtown Church, my prayer for us, and I know many of y'all's prayer for, for us, is that we would be a people that would join God in saturating our our lives and our, our friends and our, our city and beyond with the knowledge of his glory and how we treat people like God treats people. Now, this world's filled with brokenness. But God's at work to do something incredible and he's invited us into it through his son who has killed the hostility. So let's join him. Let me pray towards that end. Father God Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we we pray that. Let our hearts break over the over the sin and the, the 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 horrors and the and the pain that we've seen this week displayed on the news or in our own lives. And God, we are so thankful that you are not sitting idly by, but you are active and bringing restoration. And Lord, that you have allowed your son, Jesus, you willingly died, that we would, uh, that hostility could die. And Lord, that our broken relation with you could be restored and our broken relation with one another could be restored. May you, Lord, move us to join you in what you're doing in this world. May you give us as a church and as individuals your uh, vision for how we can get involved in what you're doing to display your glory, who you are, how you love, how you serve, to point people to the one and only one who can actually heal all that's been broken. We pray this all in his name. Amen. But Hey, this morning, um, we're going to continue the series that we've been in the last few weeks uh, out of the book of 1 Thessalonians that we're calling A Moving Faith. And uh, we are going to look at a passage today in chapter 2 that is really helpful, especially in light of what I just was talking about, that talks about one of the the main things that God uses to move in our lives, to move us to join Him and what He's doing in the world and to move in our lives to cause us to become more like him, to grow in character and in Christ-likeness. And so we're going to look at this passage where it just really lays out for us, like one of these main things that God uses, and that main thing is the word of God. It's the Bible. It's God's word. And so if you will, open up to First Thessalonians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 16 this morning. As you turn there, you can, uh, let me give you a little bit of context. If you were here with last week, you'll remember that uh, we started chapter 2 by looking at how uh, Paul uh, speaks about why and how he came to those in Thessalonica when he shared the gospel with them, like he kind of the presentation, why and how he came to them with the gospel. And this passage today, we're going to be looking at their reception. And so Paul's going to like pivot and begin talking about how they received what he had to say to them that that when he came to them. And so uh, let me read that for us. And Again, this is First Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 13 through 16. It says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did From the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, But wrath has come upon them at last. All right. So there's a number of things going on in this passage. But what I want us to do is, is just to sort of focus on what Paul's talking about in the uh, as far as how the Thessalonians received this message when he came to them. And what we're going to see, if you kind of follow along in the outline, what we'll see is, is that they had a right, what Paul would say is a, a right reception of God's word. And then we're going to see the uh, resulting work of God's word. And then we'll see like two different responses to God's word. All right. So the, the right reception and then the resulting work and then the responses to God's Word is kind of where we're going to go this morning. So let's begin with the, uh, the, the right reception of God's Word. And uh, the, the, you know, you'll see in verse 13, the first thing he says is like, Paul is giving thanks for how the Thessalonians received this message. Let me read it for you again, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God. Okay, put, put another way, he's saying, I, I want you to know, like to this very day, Thessalonians, I am still giving thanks for how you received the message when I brought it to you, that you really did see that it wasn't something crazy that we were making up. That it wasn't just this like weird philosophy or something that we were bringing to you, but that you actually heard it as what it is, the very word of God, the revelation of God to you. So, man, I haven't stopped giving thanks for that. And if you think about it, like if you put them, yourself in the shoes of those in Thessalonica... It's pretty wild that they did receive the word of God that way, right? I mean, remember, like Paul and his team, Silas and Timothy, they show up to this city. They're the first people to ever share with them who Jesus is and what Jesus did. They're strangers. They show up. They go to the, the synagogue, and they begin talking to people, and they're saying like, hey, okay, there's this person. He lived in Jerusalem. He's God. He's the Messiah. He, he lived, and then he died. He was crucified, and then on the third day, he came back to life, and he did that to show that our sins are forgiven, and we can be reconciled to God, and it's wild that people would say, oh, really? Like, tell us more about that. Like, I believe that you know, I believe what you just said is directly from God. That's a wild response, right? I mean, you think most people would say something like, you know, cool story, bro. Like, (laughs) hey, stranger, thanks for coming to our town and telling us about this dead person who came back to life. That's, That's really interesting. What else do you have? Like, that's the common response to that kind of message. Like, back in the first century, that would be the common response. Today, that's the common response. Like, people don't die and come back to life. And that they That was not easy for them to believe. It's not easy for people in our day and age to believe because it doesn't happen, right? And so, but yet they didn't blow it off. In fact, if you remember, we looked at this when we started the series in Acts 17. Paul tells us with detail, like how he came to them with this message. I want us to revisit that. In Acts 17, verses two through four, it said this. On three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Again, notice these verbs that he uses here describe how he came to them. He says he reasoned with them, explaining and proving. Like What Paul would do is he would open up the, the Jewish scriptures, our Old Testament. He would open that up with them, and he would show them from the scripture like this is what God has said in the word about who the Messiah is and what he will do about his birth and, and life and, and death and, and resurrection and then he would tell them and he goes, this is what Jesus has done and he would put Jesus' life next to these prophecies, and next to his teachings and he would say this is who Jesus is, that he really is the Messiah, he really did live and die, he really did suffer he really did die, he really did rise and amazingly some people were persuaded. In fact, verse 4 in Acts 17 says, And some of them, some of them being the, the Jews here, were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. You see, it was these that were persuaded. They, they after having given this much thought, having spoken with Paul and Silas and Timothy for a, a good a while, probably all day, for three weeks, they're talking about this, reasoning together, that they're persuaded. They're saying, okay, you know what? Like, I do believe that what you're saying isn't just some crazy story that you've brought to our town. but that Like, this is actually the very Word of God, the, the revelation of God, that Jesus really is the Messiah, that He really did suffer for our sins, that He really did die, and He really did rise again, that we could be reconciled to him. These that were persuaded are those that received the word as it really is, Paul would say. That's the very word of God. And he says, man, I haven't stopped giving thanks to God for your response in that. Because he knew their response and for that changed their lives, changed their eternity, changed their entire life. So he gives thanks for that. Here's, here's my question for you guys. When, when it comes to God's word, How have you received it, or how are you receiving it? Can the same be said about you as what Paul said about those in Thessalonica? Can he say like, "Hey, when when you when came and brought you God's word, you received it as it is, not as a word of man, but really the word of God"? Is that how you see Scripture? Is that how you see God's word? Now, I know that there are people all over the spectrum here this morning when it comes to that question. That some of us land where the Thessalonians landed. And you'd say, Yeah, I do. I believe the Bible is God's word. I really do believe that it's from God. It's not just the word of man. It's not just history or myth or, or or just you know some good, wise sayings, but you know, sourced in man, not certainly not sourced from God Himself. No, I believe that it really is sourced in God. I believe what 2 Timothy 3, 16 17 says that all scripture is God-breathed. God breathed, meaning it really is coming from. God, sourced in God himself, breathed out by God. Say, that's what I believe. That's awesome. That's what I believe. But I know there's others in here that would say, well, I'm just not so sure, or I'm unconvinced, or I'm unpersuaded that that's actually what it is. I I think the Bible might be a good book. I'm making some parts of it are just crazy. (laughs) I don't, I, I, you know, some of it's helpful, but I don't want to never say it's from, from God. Guys, here's what I would want to encourage you with this morning. I'd want to encourage you to lean into this question. Is the Bible God's word or is it the word of man? Is the Bible God's word or is it the word of man? It's it's one of those. Which one is it? And if you're on the fence or if you're unsure, if you're unconvinced that it is God's word, what I would really want to do is encourage you to lean into that, that question and explore that. To to give that thought, to to reason like the Thessalonians did. Think through this and see if it it really is what it claims to be, the, the very word of God. I would love to stand up here and give you just reason after reason after reason why I believe that it is the very Word of God. But we just don't have time for that. And I'm, I'm unconvinced that that's the best way to, to really have that conversation. I, I think that this is something you need to really personally interact with. And so here's what I want to do is I want to point you to a couple of resources and I want to give you an invitation, okay? So if you're unsure if the Bible really is God's Word, what I would do is I would point you to a couple of resources we have on our table out in the hallway. We have a number of books out there today. One of them is called God Breathed by Josh McDowell. It's a great book that's on this topic. There's also a couple other books like Can We Know the Bible's True and Is the New Testament reliable? Those other books there, I'd encourage any one of those would be a great book for you to pick up and begin reading as you explore this, because it's an important question to really give thought to. And if those books cost 10 bucks, and you can put the money in there or you can steal them. That's, today, this is just you just grab it. Like if this is a question for you, I don't want the money to be something that would keep you from exploring. So just grab that book. There's only a couple, so you might need to run out there quickly. You can go right now if you want. It's okay. It's that important of a question. So go get that when you leave today or, or any time today. And, uh, or pull it up on your phone. Buy the books on Amazon. God breathed by Josh McDowell. Great resource for you to study this, give thought to this. So that's, that's the resources I want to make available for you. The second thing is I want to invite you. I want to invite you to talk about this with people. If you're interested in talking about it with me or with any of our elders or anybody in our church, we have lots of people in our church, not just people on staff or on the elder board, that would be a great resource for you that they could share their story, how they've come to decide and how they reasoned through this question to land that the Bible is God's Word. They'd love to enter, like, engage with you in that topic. I also want to invite you to an MC or missional communities where we gather each week in small groups. Those groups were designed to be a safe place for all of us to ask questions. And if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, that's a safe place for you to ask any kind of question. You're not going to get judged for saying, like, I, I've been a Christian for, for like, as long as I can remember, and yet, I, I, you know, lately I, I've, I took this class my freshman year, and it's been nagging on me. I don't know if I really believe the Bible's God's Word. Say that, please. That's my invitation to you. That's a safe place to let that be known and have people engage with you in that topic to reason together as you seek this out because it's a big deal, friends. What we believe about the Bible, is it really what it claims to be? Is it the word of man or is it what, as Paul says, it really is the word of God? So that's my invitation. If you want to get together and talk, write it on the connection card. Bible. Just write Bible on that. We'll get in touch with you. We'll hook you up with someone you can talk to or bring it up in your MC. All right? And pick up a resource. Now, the last thing I I, I want to say as far as this point goes, is that um, what you see in this passage is important. You see this uh, progression that takes place in verse 13, where he says that that when they received God's word, they received as it really is, and they accepted. They accepted it as it really is. And so you see this from received to accepted, and that, uh, that... Progression is significant. They, they didn't just you know, have it handed to them or told to them, but then they actually accepted it as being God's word. And when they that word accepted uh, really carries with it this idea of belief that they believed it's the word of God. And when they believed that it was the word of God, it changed the way they related to the word of God. And, and my, what I want to just bring up to, to you guys today is that uh, I know many of us in here would say, like, I do believe that the Bible is God's word. But if you functionally evaluated how you relate to God's word, you might find that you really don't believe that. Or at least you're not living like you believe that. See, there, there's three common ways that we can relate to God's word. I've got a little slide up here for you. It's incredible uh, graphics here. Uh, um, it's just love that clip art. So, uh, But the, uh, the first one is, is what I would refer to as like you over the Bible or you over God's Word. And this is a common way that we relate to God's Word where it's really a side that we relate to it as if it's not important or it, it doesn't, you know, have any authority over us and it, it doesn't even have any relevancy in our lives. And so you'd say, okay, like I figure out, I can figure out life on my own and how to live, and if there's a God and all that stuff, like I've got that. I can figure out life on my own. I don't need the Bible. It's you over the Bible. And if you don't believe the Bible's God's word, then this is a rational way to live. But unfortunately, there are also many people in in here who would say, I do believe the Bible's God's word, and yet functionally we live this way. Like if you didn't pick up the Bible at all last week, then you were saying functionally, I don't need God's Word. I can live independent of it. That's a common way to relate to the Word of God. There's another common way that's the middle way that's, that's more like you next to the Bible, and it's more when you see the Bible as a peer or maybe a, a somewhat wise and crazy friend. And so sometimes you go to it and you, you get some good input from it. You find some good advice from it. And some, some parts of it you find helpful. Some parts of it you find wacky and, or, or you just completely disagree with. And so you determine, not, you, you see the Bible not as an authority, but just as a peer that can be helpful at times, but not always. And so you pick and choose what parts you want to apply to your life or, or learn from. And the parts that often the, that you disagree with or you don't feel is true, that's the stuff that you would just kind of you know, ignore or reject. That's a common way that we relate to the Bible as well. And there's a, there's a final way, and this is the way that would describe how the Thessalonians related to the Bible. This is what Paul was saying he was giving thanks for, as that is the, the Bible over you. And in this way, you relate to the Bible as your authority, that you truly do see the Scripture is God's Word, his divine revelation to you about who he is and what he's done. And when he tells you like the meaning of life and how to live, and you trust him because God is good, and therefore his way is best. And so you say, teach me how to live. And so you put yourself underneath him, underneath his Word, and you live accordingly. That that's how the Thessalonians acted And guys, here's the thing. That's hard to do at times. But if you want God to do his good work in your life, this is the way you relate to him. If you don't, then you're you're not going to actually relate to God in a way that allows him to do this work in your life through his word because you're not seeing his authority in the word. guys, where this gets... Tricky is when your feelings push up against what God says. And here is what someone who's related to the Bible, as God's word says, when you have your feelings say something different than what God's word says, use let God's word trump your feelings. So for example, like you might say, Okay, well, I, I'm a Christian, but I, I I put my faith in Jesus Christ alone, forgiveness of my sins. I believe God's forgiven me, and yet I don't know if He really has forgiven me, because I just, I just have like I just am so aware of all the junk in my past and all the ways I just continually mess up, and like I just, I just, it's so hard for me to believe like I really am forgiven and I'm, I'm clean and set free from this. I just don't feel like that's true, and the question would become, well, what wins? Is it your feelings, or is it what God's Word says? Because God's Word says that if you put your faith in Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new is come, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so you say, okay, well, what am I going to believe? Is it my feelings? Because I feel guilty still, but God says I'm not guilty. If you relate to God... Is God's Word actually being God's Word? And you would say, no, no, I, I believe that what God says is true. It trumps how I feel. And so I will walk in freedom. Because that same thing would apply to any other area of your life, like how to use your, your time and, and your money, and how to relate to people in, in relationships towards your enemies even, and, 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 and in marriage and, and in parenting. And you would say, okay, what, you know, what God says wins out. Because it's God saying it, right? It's God's word. I place myself under it as authority. Paul says that if you do that, then the Bible has this resulting work in your life. The resulting work of of God's word in your life is this. Um, It's that if, if you go back to the end of verse 13, he says, uh, you know, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Is that work in you, believers? And this word work that he uses here is the same as the Greek word that we also get our, our English word energy from. So if you could put it another way, he, he's saying that, that when you believe that the Bible is God's word and you place yourself under it, then what the Bible does, what God does through His word is that He energizes your faith. like He literally moves you along in your faith, where you grow up into Him, and you go along with Him in what He's doing in the world. that the Bible is what moves you along, that it, it energizes you. That's one of the primary ways God is at work in your life. That I want to grow. Well, open up the word. Believe that it's God's word. Do what he says. And in that, God is at work in your life to grow you and to move you with him to do something fantastic in the world that's saturated with the knowledge of his glory, to, 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 to stem the tide of the brokenness, to, to partner with him in what he's doing. So that's key way is when you see the Bible is God's word. You allow him to do his work in you. I, uh, I could go on and on about that, but sometimes I know, like, being a pastor, it's like, yeah, this is what you're paid to say, all right? So I want to bring someone up that's not paid to say something. Uh, it's my friend Andrew Harvard. Andrew, come on up here, man. And Andrew is, is a part of our church, and he, uh, he loves God's Word. And he, uh, I just asked him to share a little bit about um, God's, words, uh, God's work and his life through God's Word. So, Andrew, take away, man.
1: Hello, hello. Uh, Forgive me, I I don't do public speaking very well, so I'm going to have to read most of this, but I'll try to make eye contact from time to time here. Uh, uh, So the Word of God has played a powerful role in my life. Though I grew up in church, I didn't see God's Word for what it is until many years later. But when I did, the impact was tremendous. My journey to Christ was long, slow, and at times painful. Through my high school and college years, God wasn't real to me. I never cared enough to label myself as an atheist, but functionally, that's what I was. I still voluntarily attended church events from time to time and was even in a Bible study for a while, but I continued on in blindness to the truth that was right in front of me. I'm a hyperlogical engineer. Back then, reasoning was all that was real to me. I barely believed in the emotional realm, let alone the spiritual realm. How was I to accept the existence of a supposedly all powerful being that was undetectable to my five senses and couldn't be proven by science? It was nonsense. Then out of nowhere, at the age of 22, I was struck by how inadequately science was able to answer what suddenly seemed like life's most important questions. Why are we here? What is the purpose of life? How did the world and mankind really come into existence? I took the leap of considering the possibility that religion may hold some of the answers. This set me off on what ended up being two years of researching the possibility that God may exist. I examined historical evidence for the world's major religions and their associated texts. I watched hours of debates between Christians and atheists, I surveyed those around me about their own beliefs, and I read several books that dug deep into the subject. I learned a lot during that time, but I never found the proof that I was looking for, proof that God is real. I came to a point where I realized that no matter how long I continued my research, there was no proving it either way. I was stuck. It was around that time that I came across a link to a four-part sermon series by Andy Stanley titled The New Rules for Love, Sex, and Dating. I was on the back end of what had been a messy four-year relationship, so I decided to give it a listen. I was blown away by the amazing insight and what I realized to be truth of the biblical text. For the first time in my life, I could see the words of the Bible speaking clearly to my personal situation, and I was fully convinced they were right. I could see how the course of my relationship had been driven by the ways of culture, and it was apparent to me that if I had followed God's model for relationships, things would have turned out differently. I became aware of my selfishness and could see that without God at the sinner, we never really had a chance. Realizing the power of God's Word proved to me more influential in my search for God than the years of research that preceded it. It was at this point that I began giving God pieces of my life here and there, testing the waters, so to speak. My study of the Bible's authenticity transitioned into what is now a lifelong study of the Bible itself. I went from not believing God's Word was worth my time to dedicating approximately 500 hours to memorizing the entire Gospel of John over the course of the last 15 months. Through the lens of God's Word, the world around me began to make sense, and through my time in John, I feel that I really came to know the person of Jesus. God's Word took me from living for myself and my own satisfaction, pleasure, and comfort to an understanding that He has an exclusive claim on true satisfaction and fulfillment. The promises of His Word give me rest and peace in the day-to-day chaos of this world, They've given me purpose in the midst of a culture that tells us to chase after meaningless pursuits. And most impressively, they've provided amazing comfort in times of great trial. Six months into my marriage, my wife was crippled by mental health issues. On several occasions, I watched depression and anxiety overwhelm her body to the point that it would shut down in what's medically known as emotionless catatonic state. It would be almost two years before I could get her to seek help. Her life and our marriage were in grave danger. But even in the worst of times, I remember being met with the promise of God's word and feeling a peace that was truly illogical given the circumstances. God showed up when I needed him most. His word is alive. It's real. And it's very much the answer to the years I spent questioning. If you'd like to hear more or have questions, I'd be happy to talk after the service. Thanks.
0: That's really powerful. Y'all need to ask Andrew to recite the whole book of John to you. I'm going to put him on the spot. But God's, God's word is active, and it's powerful, and God uses it to do this great work in our lives. But you have to see it as it really is. Do you see it as it really is, that it's God's word, and are you relating to it as, in light of that, placing yourself under it? That's how the Thessalonians... Responded, and, and what we see is that Paul is saying, just, just give so much thanks for, for you receiving that way. Now God's working in you. And then he goes on in this passage to talk about how, uh, you know, what results as, as a result of the respo- their response to God's word. And their response to God's word in this last part of this passage goes kind of two ways. One, the Thessalonians' response, and then another group's response. And let me just hit these real quickly before we wrap up this morning. But here's what he says in verse 14. He says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God and Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. And, and it, it's kind of implied in here, but the reason that the Thessalonian believers ended up suffering uh, in the same way that the churches in Judea suffered is because the, the, when the believers in, in Thessalonica received God's word and saw it as it is, they didn't keep it to themselves that they saw that it was God's word and then they began to communicate it and pass it on to others because God's word is too good to keep to ourselves. Like they had heard that God loved them so much that he sent his son to die for them that Jesus willingly laid down his life for them on their behalf, that he was crucified and that he died and that he came back to life, that through faith in him we can be reconciled to God and find life in God. They'd heard this and they knew it was God's revelation to them, it was God's word, and they're like, I cannot keep that to myself. And they began to communicate it to others. In fact, Paul had already commended them for this in chapter one, verse eight. You may remember when we looked at that verse a couple weeks ago. It says, "The word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia." They see when they received the word, they then passed it on. It sounded forth from them into their entire region of the world they were in. They couldn't keep it to themselves. It's too good to keep to ourselves. But as a result of not keeping it to themselves, they ran into some really severe opposition. And that's what Paul mentions as the second group and their response to God's word. And in that opposition, he says, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they, the Judean churches, did uh, from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins the wrath has come upon them at last. And I think the reason that Paul gets into this is that he's trying to encourage those in Thessalonica who are believers who are now you know, believe this is God's word and they're communicating to others and they're running into this opposition. He's, he's trying to encourage them to say, hey, I want you to know you're, you're not alone in, in falling under this opposition. In fact, this is how it's been from the very beginning of the church. The Judean churches or the churches, the very first set of churches you know, started in Jerusalem and spread into that region, Judea. It says they have, from the very beginning, when they began communicating the gospel, God's word to others, they, people have run, they've run into opposition. They ran in opposition from their countrymen who were the Jews. You're running into your opposition uh, from in your countrymen who are the Gentiles. It's the same thing. That Just once you know you're not alone when you run into opposition, when you start sharing this. Take heart keep going. The other thing he says to encourage them here is that he wants them to remember that that God gets the final word. So for those those that were opposing the message, he says, hey, just take heart. God gets the final word. You serve a just God. One day they will answer for how they are opposing God's word. You keep on going. And hear this, The reason they are called to keep on going is because those who are the very ones who are opposing the word are also the ones who need the word the most. He says, so keep going, keep sharing with them that they could be set free from the sin that enslaves them, that they would come into a saving relationship with Jesus before the end comes, before the final judgment comes. May you keep pressing on. Take heart, take courage, you're not alone. God gets the final word. Keep Going, keep proclaiming this. And guys, for us on the application side, I would say that a sign that we really believe that God's Word is God's Word, an indication of that is that if we're actually communicating it to others. If we really do believe that God's word is God's word, that the gospel is truth from God himself, then we will not keep that to ourselves. It's too good to keep to ourselves. We have to communicate it to others. If you really believe it's from God, you're not going to sit on that. You're going to tell people. Are you telling people? Are you communicating it, even in the face of opposition? Good news is the opposition we face is not near like the opposition that they face. They face external opposition. We primarily face internal opposition. We deal with our nerves. We deal with fear of rejection our insecurities. May we be bold to communicate God's word because, guys, it's God's word. It's true, and it's amazing. God loves us. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son That whoever believes in him. Should not perish but have eternal life. That's true. That's directly from God. It's incredible. Let's keep it moving. That God would use His Word to move us to grow into Him, His likeness, and that He would use it to invite us to move along with Him to get the message out to others. I'm going to end this morning by uh, taking communion, and we, we, when when we take communion, um, we're remembering that the, the, the uh, we're, we're we're remembering. the the most ultimate sign and proof that God's Word is powerful and it's life-changing. Because, you see, in John chapter 1, we're told that God's Word uh, actually took on flesh. That Jesus is referred to as the the very Word of God. And in John chapter 1, we're told this, "...the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." And previously it said, he had came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that's the reason why he was able to give them the right to become children of God is because the word of God had taken on flesh. And then he had let his flesh be broken and his blood spilled out. When he was crucified on the cross, the word of God was laid bare for us that through him we could have a reconciled relationship with God and be with him forever. And when we take communion, we're, we're remembering the very word of God killed for us to kill the hostility that existed between us and God and to remedy the hostility that exists between us and each other. And so you, you take the bread and you remember his body broken for you. and the, Take the cup and remember his blood spilled out for you. And as you do that, may we rejoice in the word of God who tell, has, through which God has told us who he is and what he's done for us. And we ask God to move us to communicate it to others as well. So I'm going to pray, and the tables in the front and in the back are open. Anyone who's placed their faith in Christ alone, forgiveness of your sins, you can come and get it uh, when you're when you're ready. Let me pray, and we'll respond. Father God, thank you. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for your Word. God, I pray for anyone in here that uh, is unconvinced that it actually is from you. Lord, may you speak to them. May you, may they have the courage to actually open up your word and and, and see for themselves, or to, to ask a question of a friend and begin a pursuit of, of, of discovery to see if God, if your word really is what you say it is. But God, we, we thank you that uh, it is, that you've revealed to us through it who you are and what you've done for us. But Lord, that you didn't even just give us words on a page, but Lord Jesus, you actually took on flesh the very word of God and you died in our place. And Lord, that the word that you spoke from the cross is that it is finished and that through your death, our sins are forgiven and we've made, we're we offered an opportunity to be restored to you through faith. God, we remember your sacrifice today. May you move us to trust you more. Because you're so good. And so God, we can put ourselves under your word and see it as the authority in our lives that it is. Because you're a good God. and so Your way is best. Lord, help us believe that all the more. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.